Welcome to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast. This is one of our refinable episodes, Personal Portraits of Gospel-Shaped Lives. It's our deep hope that God would speak to you through these life stories and faith journeys, and that these narratives would encourage you to follow Christ in deeper and intentional ways, especially in regards to how the gospel can shape, and in some cases, reshape a person's life. So, today's guest is Mark Allen Grolo, follower of Christ, husband, father, pastor, theology geek, podcast pro, wedding efficient and all-around engaging and energetic individual. How is it going? Wow, can I talk now? <laughs> yes, how was that intro? That was great. That was okay? I'm blushing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I wish you guys could see this. He's, he's kind of turning a bit also, red, though, like his microphone. Well, and that, that's a good segue into my first question for you, <laughs> is it's the Canadian Asian yes. missional podcast. Yes. Okay, what am I doing here? I, I think... Explain to your listeners and to me... <laughs> Why a white guy? Oh, man. <laughs> Go ahead. We're, we're going to get into that. We're <laughs> okay. going to jump into this. But All you right. at least fit two of the three, Canadian and uh-huh. missional, yeah. perhaps not Asian. Maybe okay. we could go way back. Well, who, who knows? I lived in Korea for three years, right? So I have people who You're call honorary. me... You're honorary. People, people call me an egg, which I didn't know was a thing. There you go. No. Yeah, egg, right? White, white on, on the outside, the, yeah, yeah. yellow on yeah, the inside. Right. Hey, there you yeah, go. That's so I, maybe that, I do fit the bill. Maybe, yeah, you know, the Holy Spirit has brought this together so that we can have these conversations. But we're going to talk about that for sure. But we're going to just jump right into our big five, our main questions. Question number one, how has the gospel, God's redemption through the person and work of Jesus Christ, personally shaped you and worked in your life individually? See, when you say the word gospel, it's so so loaded. Yeah, big word that I don't know where to start. How do we define the word gospel? Yeah. I don't want to get lost in the weeds, but sure. in order to answer that question, there's four more of these, eh? Hey, it's... <laughs> uh, we have to kind of We're define... We're going to hit the big ones yeah, first. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> so gospel, uh, being good news, how, how has it shaped me? Um, yeah. I was raised in a very spiritually abusive mm-hmm. church context where the leaders, the pastor, they were touting a certain kind of gospel. So I heard about the gospel, which sure. in the particular church I grew up with was a very specific definition of it. Namely, uh, you couldn't believe in the Trinity because that was heresy. Mm. So there's the good news starts right there. <laughs> And, and you had to speak in tongues or you weren't saved. And you had to be baptized in the name of Jesus, not the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Otherwise, you were lost utterly. Okay. Uh, other Christians were all damned and condemned and heretics. And so I, that was the gospel for me growing up. So just to answer your question, how did it shape me? Negatively for the first 20 years. Now, I would, say, crazy. I would say that wasn't gospel, but it's funny when you throw that word at me, it's so loaded because we preached, I heard every Sunday, get out there and preach the gospel, which meant convert other Christians to our very specific stripe, mm. um, which meant get, getting people over on our side and, you know, men getting haircuts and shaving off their beards and women getting the makeup off and growing their hair long and a very specific idea of gospel. Um, I left that all behind when I went to university. And just kind of both middle fingers in the air, like, <laughs> if that's the gospel, I want nothing to do with it. Sure. Um, I met a Nazarene pastor in Korea, and this is where part two in answering your question uh, comes into play, because he befriended me, but I hated that, because I knew Christians should not be where I'm being. In mm. Korea, I'm teaching English. I'm drinking as much as I can. I never was good at it because I got such a late start. Uh, Playing, you know, pool, um, whatever, in the clubs. And this Nazarene pastor, this guy in his 30s with a wife and a kid, he was an American guy teaching English at the Nazarene University in the little town I was teaching English in. He was hanging out with us. And I just thought, you are a hypocrite because you're not (laughs) supposed to be, like, Christians aren't supposed to be here. I know this is a missional podcast, and for me, 
Josh is his name, he stands as the ultimate example of missional because I was enraged at Christians, pretty much convinced that if that's God, I want nothing to do with that God. And he just hung around. He just like freaking wouldn't go away <laughs> until finally he said, let's go out one night. Let's, let's grab, I don't know, something at McDonald's or something. And I sat down with him and I, and I basically told him all the reasons why. Josh, you're 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 trying to have it both ways. You you say you're a Christian, but you're you're in these pool halls where there's pictures of topless women all over the walls. You're not supposed to be here. And he challenged me. Like, is that what being a Christian is? Wow. Is that what it means to you? What you're not supposed to do? What if it's about being something? And it really unsettled me because I thought I'd figured it out. I thought I was able to finally shake off Christianity and write off all Christians as idiots or hypocrites or something. First of all, my objection was the Trinity. I was like, the Trinity is total BS, and I can give you 65 reasons why, because I grew up in a denomination where you were supposed to practice theological jujitsu on other Christians and, you know, discount... <laughs> just beat them down. Yeah. Like, do you believe in the Trinity? And they'd say, well, yeah, and then you just show them all the ways it's wrong. So he gave me a book by St. Athanasius from 300 AD. <laughs> uh, he was like, I don't know, read this. You seem a bit like a geek. So I read it in like two days, and then I was on board with the Trinity from St. Athanasius' <laughs> book. Uh, so I was like, okay, okay, fine. That was like a theological objection taken care of. But I don't want to be a dick. Like, I thought Christians <laughs> had to be dicks in the sense of like, you hate culture, you hate other religions, you hate anything that doesn't agree with what I agree. It's like a pox upon it. Right. And he, he said, oh, I don't see being a Christian that way. And he gave me Brian McLaren's book, The Secret Message of Jesus. Mm. I read that book and it just blew my mind because Brian McLaren in this book is saying God is on mission to reconcile and redeem and loves the heck out of the whole cosmos, every person in it. And the kingdom of God is here and now breaking in. Dude, I grew up in the church and I'd never heard that idea. Right. For 20 years, the kingdom of God meant heaven. Sure. So like, just for a fun exercise for your listeners, open up one of the New Testament gospels and start reading the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of god as like a place you go after you die it's hard but that's how for 20 years it always meant heaven after you die sure it's the afterlife right? yeah, yeah. The, the kingdom of god is the afterlife so whenever jesus is like the kingdom of heaven is like this you're like oh we're reading about what happens after we die <laughs> again it didn't it wasn't hard for brian mclaren to point out like how that's not true. The kingdom of God is now. It's God's project. It's God's mission. And I just said, I want to be on board with this. I, right. I just, the gospel suddenly became clear. It was so weird. I had all the head knowledge. Like I was a Bible quizzer. I knew all the verses that Brian McLaren was referring to before he even mentioned them. But to have the meaning, just a, a seismic shift, sure, was mind-blowing. And then I said, so what do, you, what do you do, like to Josh, again, he's clearly mentoring me and discipling me at this point as we continue to play pool and drink beer and stuff. And I just said, what about, you know, how oppositional you have to be with people? Now, now that I, I don't want to convert people, I, I, mm. hate, I hate feeling like I have to constantly argue with people to get them to believe what I believe. And then again, he just showed up the next day with Henry Nouwen's book, Compassion. Mm. And I read that over... Uh, uh, the school closed. I read that over vacation on the beach in Korea. And by the end of that book, I was like, this is such good news that God loves the cosmos, that we can learn so much from the Trinitarian paradigm of God, and that, like Jesus, we're just to practice presence and compassion, right. suffering with and for and among and redeeming suffering and... It was such good news. That was the, suddenly the gospel was like, ka-ching! That sounds <laughs> and, like and good just, news. Yeah, and I just wanted to be on board. And ever since then, you know, then I went to seminary and got the theological wrestling sure. in the head stuff. You're never going to answer those questions. But the gospel, I could see how it was such good news. Good news for me, good news for the whole world. And, uh, and I, I just jumped on Team Jesus Gospel. And that's how I did it. So I went from like a hurtful to a absolutely excited, this message is incredible. That's an astounding story. That's how it story. shaped my life. Yeah, no. Oh my goodness. That is amazing. And God's mercy. <laughs> you know, as a side question, I wanted to ask, you know, how has the gospel shaped you as a father? 
and as a husband? Oh, huge. That's a really good question. It's funny because I tend to tag on social media uh, the hashtag Jesus is my guru. Right. Um, It's just something that over the last few years, and as I've landed in the Anabaptist camp of theology, um, I don't know if you guys want to unpack. Well, you know, because Shu is like a neo-Anabaptist. I've heard the word drop on your podcast. I'm I'm a regular listener. (laughs) So yeah, if you're... Anabaptist is kind of, it can mean a lot of things, but really focusing on, you know, if you've heard of red-letter Christians and that kind of thing, the teachings of Jesus are very, are are primary, are are paramount. Um, And I would say wrestling with the teachings of Jesus Mm. has allowed me really to be a decent husband and decent father because I have major struggles and challenges. Like, Mm. I just described to you my upbringing briefly. Can you imagine how messed up I am from that kind of like upbringing of like performing for love and sure. needing to be perfect? And of course, I'm an Enneagram three as a result of all this, where I don't believe I have any intrinsic value. I believe that it's how I perform and what I do is what earns me love. And sure. my wife's been trying to untangle that hairball for years. But the closer, so obviously going to seminary and thinking I'm going to be a pastor, I thought that would like fix that stuff. Like sure. I thought I'm going to get fixed if I start to be able to interpret the Bible properly and get my theology in order. But not realizing, the, not realizing that, that that's the same pattern. It that's is just the same pattern. It's the other side yeah. of the coin. That's right. If I if I learn to kind of combat the theology that I grew up with even better, or every time I meet a Calvinist, if I can really argue <laughs> well with them. But yeah, it's exhausting and ultimately. It doesn't lead you to shalom or the good life or right. the way of life that I think Jesus was talking about. Sure. So John Suk, an interview, one of the first ones I had was when he said, Jesus, he's a United Church minister, and United Church United Church gets a lot of flack, but he said, you know, Jesus is a lot of things, but he's at least an ethic. If he's God, if he's the Son of God, if he's all the things we say he is, hmm. then at the very least, like at the front of the line, like the smallest thing, he's, sure. he's a, a teacher a guru, an ethic Mm. that we should follow. And then you can layer on your Christology and your Son of God and all that stuff. But that really hit me a few years ago, and I had kind of a mystical experience last year where I um, kind of heard God tell me to read Mark every single day for a month, the Mm. book of Mark, the first gospel written. And so I read the, the whole book of Mark, all 16 chapters, every single day. And I just started to get inculcated in me, like the way Jesus moved and talked and the things he did. And every single day, reading the same thing for for a month, Wow! Uh, it really, st- you start to see things, because that's the way it was meant to be read, right? Not in like th- three verses or three chapters at a time, the way we tend to. Sure. And it just made, Jesus is compelling. People say that, like there's books written about it. They like Jesus, but not the church and stuff. Mm-hmm. But for me, when I start to pattern my choices um, and f- reach for, follow in the way of life like Jesus teaches. I really think Jesus was talking about a way of life and a way of death. You see that all the time. Uh, as I try to pursue enemy love, self-love, sure. and sometimes yourself is your enemy, <laughs> yeah. so that can qualify for that. Uh, I have become less angry. Anger is my kind of my first response to things. I've become less angry, more patient, uh, a better listener with my wife, with my kids. And mm. so um, it's not just like the gospel or a set of theology that has made me um, a decent husband and father, I think. It's getting close to Jesus. And, you know, maybe there's other things that work for other people, but for me, trying to pattern myself after the way Jesus, what Jesus was getting at, right? Um, when he, the Beatitudes and, and, Making time for kids, like those stories where he gets on his knees and he's like embracing children and, you know, we're grownups, we're too busy for that, we're too important for that. So there's just things like that where I just, you start to get a caption of Jesus and the time he wastes (laughs) on people and it's so beautiful. And so that's kind of gotten in my bones more in the last couple of years and um, I think it's the only reason why I'm not a wreck, frankly. Wow, thank you so much for sharing all that. It's it's awesome. You know, as a kind of a side question, not a lot of people really see Jesus in that way, mm. right? They might see Jesus as the Savior for their sins, yeah. or they might see him as Lord over all. 
but not a lot of people see him as teacher, as mm-hmm. one to be followed in that way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this leads into our second big question, which is how would you define and describe the process of discipleship? Yeah, I, I think, you know, discipleship is such a loaded word. Uh, it's a Christianese word for many. Sure. Uh, it's a churchy word. Some people think it's just Sunday school. Yeah. yeah. So if I say that to my neighbor on my deck or something, I always like to kind of try to contextualize any conversation with would the average person across the street understand what I was talking about. Sure. So for me, I think a good contemporary word is an apprentice. That seems to be something we still get, maybe by Donald Trump's television show, <laughs> The Apprentice. I don't know. <laughs> so that we can be fired from it, right? Yeah. We can be fired yeah, from exactly. being a, yeah, a Christian. <laughs> so in its, in, in its kind of uh, original sense of the word, uh, an apprentice is where you came alongside a master mm. and observed them. And for the first little while, you were... It's essentially useless, um, you know, just carrying their tools or whatever. Sure. Uh, but then they would allow you to do some things, and their knowledge empowered you more. And you got to a point where you could take over and be as good as your master, and maybe even better. You know, sure. where the, the the student has become the master. <laughs> um, Star Wars, <laughs> exactly yes. that kind of thing. Uh, so for me. Discipleship is really about apprenticing, and this goes back to the whole Jesus is my guru thing. If we are apprenticing in something, what are we, who are we becoming apprentices of? Mm. And for me, with my long experience in the church and seminary, there's so many things that we can become apprentices of, a certain theology, a certain school of theology, outreach stuff, programs in the church, whatever. I was student council, and you can just try to be the... You can try to kind of pattern yourself and model so many things out there. But at the end of the day, it's about being like Jesus. I mean, being someone who is making a a difference mm. in in the world sure not in the kind of way where you're just trying to pass i'm not trying to just pass what's in my head into your head again the, the whole great commission thing that you guys often talk about sure go into the world and make disciples which i grew up meant you have to convince somebody of all the things that's in your head. It's like a virus. Like, all the things that are in my head, I've got to get you to think the same things. I've got to inception you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and and I don't think it is that. I think discipleship is, I'm an apprentice of Jesus. I'm bringing the way of life and shalom into the world. Like, the whole Bible is the story of creation groaning towards shalom. Mm-hmm. How are we agents and apprentices of that, of bringing harmony and peacemaking uh, into everyday existence. Sure. And so to me, that is what discipleship should be. And any program or project that we do is only valuable insofar as ultimately it is accomplishing that. Sure. On both sides. I don't like the whole, I'm the master and you're the student. There's room, of course, for spiritual mentors and things like that, but who among us isn't flawed, right? Like, the, the, the master is Jesus, not, right. not the old saint of the faith or whatever. I mean, Paul himself said, like, I don't know. I don't know if you should be following me. I'm pretty messed <laughs> up. So if, if St. Paul could say that, I think so should we, um, sure. patterning ourselves after the teaching of Jesus. So that's, for me, what discipleship has really become. Sure. You said something that was really interesting, which was, at the start, there's this part where we're carrying the tools, mm. where we find we feel kind of useless, and we're not really getting in, and <laughs> yeah. we're failing a lot. You know, that's not a popular mentality in this world, where where they're not going to follow through and be on this long process, yeah. right? And even you yourself, you were, you know, you felt very performance oriented, yeah. right? You, your kind of identity and and value was based on what you could do, yeah. right? So how did you wrestle with that, like, you know, just starting on that process of following Christ, but also messing up and continuing along that journey? Well, I think, I think the, the learning to rest thing is really important. And so to answer your question, like, the way that it happened for me, and this is where kind of the two 
two themes that you see in Scripture are really important. And you hear arguments between the two. Is it A or is it B? Because it's A and B. Right. A is, you are loved no matter what you do. Just because you exist. You are worthy of love. You are lovable. Mm -hmm. You are the image of God. You cannot become more lovable. Again, as a th- Enneagram 3, you're going to have to do an Enneagram episode. <laughs> somebody right. who, like, we'll bring you back to that. <laughs> yeah. Somebody who uh, found their self-worth only insofar as I could perform for it and felt like, uh, man, even I remember sitting in therapy and somebody asked me, like, do you believe that somebody who uh, can't do something is worthy of love? And I just was like, no. Mm. Like, wow, that's like a disgusting view, actually, when I think about you know, somebody in a wheelchair or whatever. My view was so warped of what somebody is worth based on what they could achieve or sure. accomplish. Again, reading Henry Nouwen and John Vanier and the, the L'Arche community, that really helped straighten me out there. So the A thing is you are loved no matter what. Um, you cannot become more lovable. And you see Jesus saying that and affirming that in people. But B is do stuff too. Sure. <laughs> right? And this is where kind of you get the theology, like different schools of thought. So the be, like get out there and be a person of God and do stuff, make disciples and do, do, do projects, do mission. Like look what the disciples are doing. And they were going all over Asia and getting in shipwrecks. Yeah. Just do something. <laughs> God wants us to get out there. And you hear it at the rallies and retreats and whatever. You hear it from the pulpit too. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. At the conferences. Yeah. And get out there. And, and so they're both, they're both correct. That's the thing. Like they're both like, let's get out there and do things. But this is where kind of the Jewish idea of Sabbath and work and finding joy and value in work. I love this idea that, you know, you work six days and then the seventh day you stop and you rest. And Jewish scholars would say you, you just enjoy, you literally enjoy the work that you did. You just observe it. You right. just, so if you're a farmer, you just like walk around and go like, this is great. Sure. The rabbis would say, enjoy your wife or your spouse on Sabbath, enjoy sure. your kids, like just... Be with them and observe the gift and stop doing. And just realize we're, we're being. Like we have such a value just being. And then get back to work the other days. So those things are not in, in opposition. And so for me, it's unhealthy to just, I think, say, and this is kind of the, the criticism that's leveled at Christianity. Are you saying you can just do any old sin and God right. forgives you? You see that all the time, like sure. in forums and like the school shootings. Oh, I guess God's just going to forgive that person. It's like... <sighs> No, that's a misunderstanding of the value, the imago Dei, the breath of God, the the worth and lovability of a person mm. versus we work because that's what we can do. And there's like a fire in us to to want to do something. Like I love woodworking or so I I want to go and make a nice harvest table. Yeah. But my worth is not dependent on making the harvest table. I right. I enjoy doing it because I can. So I'm not earning worth. I'm doing out of a place of abundance, of sure. gift, of joy. Already fully loved, already yeah. fully accepted. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So that two-prong of the gospel, I think, is really important. What would you say that process has looked like for you personally to become more a disciple of Christ, mm. both past and present? When you, when you strive to be something and you're not achieving it, right, there's lots of room for, for frustration sure. and self-beating up. Again, I'm married, I'm married to a psychotherapist, so <laughs> she calls it the inner critic. That's what psychotherapists call it. That inner critic can be really, really loud. So again, for me, raised in a perfection atmosphere, I would literally like spill milk and like be cursing myself in my right. head. I think the process of, like I said, loving yourself and loving your enemy and loving your neighbor as yourself, things like that, where I'm like, am I my enemy or am I my neighbor? Or <laughs> love your neighbor as yourself. I think that means I'm supposed to love myself. All that <laughs> yeah. kind of stuff where, um, yes, love your neighbor and love your enemy, but also see yourself as intrinsically loved and of immense worth. Like the Calvinist theology would teach kind of total depravity, right? right? Which I just, I grew up in a church where they wouldn't have known Calvin, or if they did, they, he wasn't on our team, so he was a heretic. 
But that still made it in, like the the whole like you're a, you're a filthy rotten sinner, like you suck. Yeah, yeah. But luckily, we have the antidote. It's like every <laughs> villain movie you've ever seen, where like we have released the toxin into the water, but we have the antidote. It's like <laughs> for one billion dollars. Yeah, exactly. So it's like we have introduced the problem. But luckily, we also have the answer. Maybe that works for a certain kind of person, but I think there's enough self-loathing in the world today where people don't need to hear that. In fact, what we what we need to be exposed to is, and I think what Jesus was constantly shocking people walking around saying, I'm having table fellowship with a tax collector. I'm having mm. table fellowship with people who visit prostitutes. I'm having right. table fellowship with the Pharisee who you hate, and, and he's having... So there's a zealot here who is hated by the Roman collaborate. I mean, Jesus sat down at table with these people, and I just think that that is such a, a beautiful uh, image of, of acceptance, because that's what table fellowship was. It was saying, I'm not... I don't think you're so disgusting that you're not worth breaking bread with. But that's how you preserved classes in the first century was you didn't eat with certain people. Yeah. So I love when Jesus like feeds the 5,000 and like it says he, he broke them up into groups of like 50s and 20s. But like this was a crowd of all kinds of different people. I would just love to have been there when like the Pharisees who were there to like judge what Jesus is saying. And Jesus is like, guess what? Now you're in a small group with, uh, I don't know, that little crowd of uh, Roman collaborators over there. They're probably like, who should I sit with? I know. <laughs> and then it's, I was like, you guys just group up and sit down. And maybe for the first time in their lives, they're like mm. sitting in a little huddle, breaking bread, literally, with people who they would never associate with. That's what Jesus is about. Um, and I see that on a personal level, on a neighbor level. Um, Jesus was just about breaking down walls. And we have so many walls, walls in our dysfunctional families, walls in our alienated selves, Sure, um, even in our churches and our neighborhoods. And so to me, the way of life, being like Jesus, following Jesus like a guru is so intrinsically about that love piece and, and breaking down walls and barriers that, uh, it can't help but change the world when it's when it's followed when it's practiced. Wow! Yeah, you know what? You are just giving me my segues. I don't know if I'm actually answering any of your questions. I think, no, I'm loving your answers. Okay. I really am. You know, there's been a recent movement in Christendom mm. focusing on the mission of God, missio dei. You've talked a lot about it so far. Is there anything you would want to add about your understanding of the mission of God? Yeah, I mean, I. I've read a lot. I've read a lot about it in seminary. and um, But it really does come back to, like I said, when I read Brian McLaren's book, The Secret Message of Jesus, which is ironically named The Secret Message, which, which is so funny because the message of Jesus was that the kingdom of God is here. Right. It's among you. Guess what? Wake up to it. It's happening. It's like, it's like a revolution that is happening whether you like it or not. That was the message. It's not so secret. But that book was so crazy timely because I grew up <laughs> for 20 years. It was a secret. It was to a me. secret for you, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if Brian, if I ever meet him, uh, it's like I know you titled the, that book ironically, but for me it was like literally a secret that sure. like, his book rolled back the veil. So yeah, for me, when I find out that God is on this um, redemption mission towards shalom, towards aligning creation towards bringing everything into balance um, on a mission of healing, on a mission of peacemaking, and, and looking for agents to get on board with that. When Jesus says, it's here, and it's among you, and you're close to it, and he says to some people, like, oh, it doesn't look like you're going to get on board. <laughs> um, oh, it's harder for a rich person to get on board with it than somebody who's not. You start to get clues of, of what that mission is and who will be excited about it and who won't be so excited about it because the status quo is actually working out all right. God seems to be intensely concerned with 
upside down. Oh my gosh, did I just say that? Oh, because of the, another just, Stranger Things <laughs> reference. That was totally unplanned. <laughs> but the upside down kingdom, like the last being first and, and all that stuff. Blessed are the poor. Like these were ideas that actually were not conventional wisdom back then. Like mm. a rich person was probably blessed. They probably earned that. It was a sign of blessing. This is why Jesus' story about Lazarus and the rich man is so shocking because right. that's a story that um, some scholars say was going around back then, but the story was actually that the rich man was blessed and the the beggar probably deserved his fate. He sure. was, he was the, the, the wheel of fortune was treating him that way for a reason. Sure. Or perhaps even that there was sin in that person's life. Exactly. Right. Even, exactly. you know, before, you know, when Jesus and the, the blind man, right? Like, like was, there, oh, was it his sin or yeah. his parents? Sin? It was just taken for granted. Yeah. Well, there must be, he must deserve it. Yeah. And man, we, uh, it's so easy for us to do the same thing. Sure. When we see someone on the street, or, you know, a big influential American pastor, I once heard him say, this is why I never give money to someone on the street, because they're just going to spend it on sure. X, Y, and Z. And he, he had decided that a long time ago, that they are only going to ever spend their money on wrong things. Or Jesus takes a totally different approach. Like I said, the, the wasting of time, where Jesus is going to this one place, but somebody interrupts, and then he gets completely off track, or the woman that touches him in the crowd, and he says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, who cares? Let's go. <laughs> like, right. What are you even talking about that for? Uh, that's the thing about Jesus is, it's not the miracles that he did that were the big news. Uh, there were lots of healers and stories of first century healers. That wasn't the big news. For us, like, it's the Bible and there's healings in it, so it's just like, look what he can do. The The thing about Jesus's healings were the people he did it for, mm. the totally insignificant members of society. A little girl, a 12-year-old girl, a Roman soul centurion's houseboy, you know, that kind of thing where you're just like, why would he trifle himself with these people? That was the big news. And that's a Jewish tradition. I mean, the Syrian captain, right, who gets healed. Um, right, yeah. I'm, I'm, feel, I'm, I'm going down a rabbit hole here. But to me, to get back to your question, which was God's mission, you really do see like an upside downness. And anytime we start to get comfortable with the status quo or power, which I think the church has such a hard time not getting caught up in, we are um, we're treading dangerous water, I think, mm. because all of Scripture was written by people who were on the end of a spear, essentially. Christians in the first century were writing these letters to each other, scared of Roman censorship and all kinds of things like that. So we get this book and we're, we're powerful and we use it in very different ways. Mm. So I think it's very important to remember, in terms of the mission of God, you see it over and over. Uh, God's ear is towards the poor, the downtrodden, in, in, in Canada's case, the First Nations, the, mm, the immigrant, yeah. um, all that stuff we're hearing. God is less for you because you have the right theology and more for you. From what I can see in Scripture, if you are downtrodden. I mean, mm. God, God, Jesus, they don't seem to care what you think. Like, that doesn't earn their time. <laughs> that doesn't earn God's time. What earns God's time is, hey, help. Help God. I'm being, I'm on, I'm on the end of oppression. I'm on the sure. wrong end of the stick here. God says, okay, uh, that, I'm on board with helping to rectify that. Right. So, as the church and people on mission with God, that's where we should be focusing as well, mm. if we're on board with what God's on board with. Mm. Big question number four. What are some of the greatest joys in walking with God for you? I think it's interesting that the polar opposite of the way that I grew up and the thing that I was worried about when I said, I don't want to be a dick if I'm a Christian, <laughs> it's actually the total opposite if I'm living like Jesus. In one of your early episode two of your podcast, was it you talked about at Halloween? You'd go oh, yeah. trick-or-treating? Oh, yeah, going to be the like door, and there's a, a door. sign. The light's yeah. on, and there's yeah. a sign that says, this is evil. Halloween is evil. Yeah. You shouldn't be doing this. I mean, that is a dick move, <laughs> Christian. I'm sorry. Like, it just is. Um, so, like, I have kids. And for me, don't get me on a Halloween tangent, it has become the most beautiful night in the neighborhood of the year 
bar none. You can connect with so many people it, in your neighborhood. The first time, because I grew up doing door. no no yeah. Halloween allowed. And then when you don't have kids, you're like, I don't know. It's, it's, what do you do? Sure. Go to a bar and dress like a sexy cat or something? I don't know. But then when you have kids and they're dressed as a superhero or something and going door to door. And the street, my street, is filled with people laughing, parents nice. and kids running around. And I cried the first night that I participated in Halloween. It was, like, so beautiful. Mm. <laughs> so that's an example to me of, yeah, like, the lights on, hey, like, condemning children coming to the door. Sadly, there are still many Christians who think that that is the way, the best expression sure. of what God is doing in the world. <laughs> yeah. But, um, and it's almost like... I would say that's not it. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, like... They feel that being a Christian is to be known for what they are against yeah. or what they're yeah. not for, whereas Jesus was for people. Yeah. He was about bringing restoration to, to all aspects. Yeah. And yeah. so, like, an example of Christians at their best, to kind of answer your question, if mm-hmm. I'm going to try, uh, is, uh, so the answer to the question is, I love loving everything. Right. Which, it's so ironic that I didn't want to become a Christian because I was worried that when you became a Christian, you couldn't love everything. Uh, what I was going to say is uh, Christianity at its best was when I think Christians encountered the Celts uh, in like the second century. Celtic Christianity is a thing now, but before it was a thing, before it had like the crosses and the this, the island of the Iowa community there, Iona community and right. uh, St. Patrick and all that stuff. Before it was all that, it was a bunch of Christians showing up in Celt land and seeing these like radically pagan people. But instead of colonizing them the way we did the world over. It's just so interesting that Celtic Christianity is a thing now, and the reason why it's a thing now is because they looked at their rituals, like the Christmas tree, for example, Mm -hmm. their village. They would have a village, they'd have a tree in the middle of the village, and at the winter solstice, they would decorate it as a sign of gratitude to their God. And so Christians said, oh, we have that too, we have the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. It's a similar idea. Next thing you know, Christians are all putting up trees in their living room, right? right. I mean, a few hundred years between, but um, <laughs> there's things like that where they made the Feast of St. Stephen Christmas Day. They incorporated the resurrection with the Celts because winter solstice was about death. Uh, it's the darkest night. And they believed they had to do certain rituals to get the sun to come up, to get to get the winter to not take over. Right. And Christians come along and go, we have that story. And so Christmas happens at the winter solstice because it's blended with the Celtic tradition. I mean, can you imagine if Christians did that the world over when they went to India, when they went to Africa? Like, how rich would the Christian tradition be Mm. if we didn't just spread white all over? Like, Mm. the way that we believe. We have to convert people to. The Celtic story is such a shining moment in Christianity. Uh, because I think they, they interacted with a culture and said, there's some beautiful stuff here. Right. And we have a similar idea. And Jesus is already here in this culture. Let's compare notes. Let's, let's look for points of recognition where sure. God is speaking to both of us. And so for me, one of my favorite things about being a follower of Jesus and on board with this gospel mission is just being challenged and encouraged to love everybody. The exhausted Tim Hortons worker at the window, the pesky neighbor who's snow blowing at 1130 at night or something like that (laughs) when I'm trying to sleep. Having an ethic where, from what I read, Jesus, (laughs) and I don't do this all the time, I'm by no means a saint, but just at least cross-checking yourself first by saying, I know, I know what my instinct wants to do here. Right, is maybe throw something. Sure, <laughs> sure. But I know what the way of life looks like, and I know what God's mission of shalom is. And if I'm just going to be honest about it, and still shout and throw something and swear, like you can do that as a father, you can do that as a neighbor, you can do that as an angry Tim Hortons customer. Just be honest about it and say, I'm really not doing shalom sure. way of life right now. <laughs> like I have just. <laughs> I have absconded from that mission. And that's where grace comes in and things like that. We're going to make mistakes. But I just love having that at the fore, Mm. that love and harmony and shalom is what God's interested in. Mm. Am I on board or not? That's awesome. And that's not even a, 
I'm going to have good days and bad days. That's like I'm going to have good hours and bad hours. Sure. But again, that A, B thing, I don't have to, if B is doing that, A is so important that doing that well is not going to impact my worth and, and my lovability. So you kind of have it made. Mm. That's the gospel. <laughs> it's good news. <laughs> Last of our big five questions is, what have been some of the hardest and challenging moments for you in your life in regards to faith? And as a side, while you're thinking about your answer, has the gospel been good news for you during those times? In terms of faith, I mean, I think I described the, uh, you know, the years of exile, self-imposed exile. You know, coming back, studying uh, in seminary, I really, sometimes I wish I could jump in on the mic with you and shoot Bernard, because <laughs> like the stuff you're talking about, I'm, I'm in the middle of like, a crazy transition right now. Right. Where, I mean, one of the hardest things the last few years is I go to school for four years. I'm a theology geek. I love it. Excelling in school. Uh, I give the the class speech on grad day and the meeting house comes along and plucks me up and I become a meeting house pastor. And, mm. and then just, I launched a site and it just started to feel like, uh-oh, this is not what I love doing. Mm. So I talked to the denomination about that, and they said, okay, you want to try planning a church or something? I said, yeah, that sounds great. It felt right. So I started the podcast, WikiGod, two years of that. but And then the radio came along. I wanted to syndicate it and wanted to put me on the air. And I just started realizing, like, okay, I'm turning into, like, the Christian Oprah, if this continues on. Like, <laughs> Wait, is there like, a car waiting for me outside <laughs> when I go outside? Please, Mark. Maybe not her money, but just uh, <laughs> that idea of, like, interviewing people and being a bit of a well-known. And I was just like, no, I don't want to be doing that either. I just spent two years interviewing people, doing amazing, jaw-dropping things in the, mm. in the city. And, and this is where I started to learn about asset-based community development. Right. I've heard Bernard talk about picking up the tangible kingdom by Hugh Halter. Yeah. And that happened to me. Peter Block, John McKnight, The Abundant Community, Brueggemann's book with them called Another Kingdom. And I started to, again, this conviction that I have about shalom and God's project in the world. And I just, I personally, for me, have become less and less comfortable working in a Christian institution that we call the church. It just. Right. So it's funny you should ask that question because I suppose a good answer would be like, oh yeah, I struggled with something a few years ago, but it all sorted out. But right now, actually, I'm in the middle of like a, it's like this liminal space of like, I brought the podcast to an end. I don't want to work as a minister in the church. I want to do neighborhood potlucks. I put up a little free library on the end of my yard. I get to know people. I use my house as a missional outpost. Oka's meeting friends, and we have them over. A lot of the parents of her friends are like immigrants who know nobody. This right. is crazy to me, to meet yeah. people who have lived here for years and have like no friends. They work. They go to work. It blows my mind. But like, so if I'm up to doing this work, I'm not getting paid for it and if i'm working like in a church with christians all the time i can't really do that work so it's right. like a it's i'm kind of trapped yeah. so, <laughs> so for me i mean i started officiating weddings professionally which for me is very missional i know some christians might have opinions about like you marry non-christians yeah i do they're going to go somewhere they're going to go to the justice of the peace they're going to mm -hmm. go their pat one's you know one the groom's priest said no you're not marrying her because she's muslim mm. and the and her imam said no you're not marrying him because he's catholic and they're like so then they just turn to the internet and there i am right. and i'm a minister the conversations i've gotten in with these clients that i meet them to talk to them about getting married i mean it's amazing they find sure. out i'm a minister and they're like why are you doing this which totally reminds me of josh in korea i looked at him and said what are you doing here? You're not right. supposed to be doing this. <laughs> so because churches all feel like they have mar like the marriage market cornered, we got to put these people through 10 classes of discipleship and premarital. To me, they're going to the JOP. They're just going to get a signature from City Hall. Get instead, that piece of paper. Instead, meet me. I'm a minister in their lives. I just went to beer last week mm -hmm. uh, at the monk's table with a guy 
who I married, he reached out to me after and he said, I just want to hang out. And we ended up talking. He's, he's from a mixed family. His mom was Catholic. His dad was Jewish. And we talked about Jesus for sure. like half an hour. So to me, this is where the church can be creative in getting out there with unchurched people. And how are we putting ourselves in their way? Um, sometimes I think that might mean, kind of like Jesus did a lot of the time, loosening up on some of the conventions and taboos and expectations and things like that for the sake of ministering and serving and being that missional presence. So Hmm. I just paid off my $40,000 of theology degree, (laughs) and I'm not making that money up by working in a church like I always thought I would, because I became just increasingly feeling like it wasn't a good fit, and so convicted that the best work I can be doing is on my street, in my neighborhood, right? talking to the people who are rummaging through the little free library at the end of the driveway. I literally, in the summer, work. I write wedding ceremonies on my front porch. Uh, that's my office. Pretty sweet. I get it. Yeah, I do. Neighbors say, oh, I guess it could be worse offices, eh? And you get in conversations. But just to be kind of a presence, to get to know the neighbors. And so that's what I'm about, but it doesn't pay. <laughs> right. Uh, but I still really, for me, again, I think the body of Christ, it takes all kinds of people doing all kinds of work. Uh, that is my conundrum right now. And I'm on the cusp of moving to small town New Brunswick sure. to work in a, a small Christian school. It's very progressive. And uh, the uh, church in that town, it's a vineyard church, and they do very, very tangible things to make the life of the people in this poor, small town New Brunswick better. And I, it looks like that's where I'm going to be ending up in a few months. Right. And that's going to be a whole different scene. But it kind of gels with my conviction that there's like no money in this for me. Like just being a neighbor, being a presence. Shu would just talk about Fitch if he were here, right? <laughs> faithful presence. I read that and I just kind of got snake bitten by this being this faithful presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, the best way that I can do that is out with couples who otherwise don't know any minister or... Uh, even have a hate on for ministers sure. and and becoming a confusing presence in their life. Like, right. Wait a minute, you're a Christian and yeah. what? <laughs> I love I love doing that. I love surprising them and ultimately it ends up talking about Jesus a lot of the time. Awesome. All right, to finish off our refinable episode, we do the rapid fire round. Okay. We're gonna ask you, Mark, a series of quick and fun questions. And the goal is just to respond with the first answer that pops into your head. Just the answer. No explanation. It's going to be fun for everybody. It's going to be you? so fun. It's going to be fun for hey, me. Too. It's going to be great. <laughs> it's going to be great. All right. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be good. Yeah, you, so you answered for me. All right. <laughs> Coffee or tea? Coffee. Bagel or croissant? Bagel. Favorite thing to do on your day off? Read. Best place to visit in the world? In the world? Yes, in the world. <laughs> the beach. Oh, favorite meal? Wow, I'm surprised, but bibimbap came into my head. Yes, that's why you're on this podcast. All right. What inspires you? Can it be a who? Yeah, it could be who, of course. Jesus, probably, I mean, the pump is probably prime because we've been talking about it for, Sure. I'm not that spiritual, but uh, yeah, I, for the purpose of this podcast, uh, the ethic of Jesus inspires me. Favorite place to listen to a podcast? Place, it's, it's walking. I don't have a car, so I walk everywhere. Okay. Walking, on my feet, I guess. On your feet. <laughs> Best place for a wedding? Whoa, I should be good at this. Uh, any little loft venue downtown where like the ceremony and the reception and the bar are all in the same place. Mm. Oh, man. Those are the best kind. Live wedding band or DJ? Uh, oh. Ooh, depends. Uh, I'm going to say DJ. Most interesting place to observe people? The park? <laughs> It's, it's going to sound creepy anyway. No, it's no? good. Okay. It's, it's your answer. All right, how would you spend $10? Paying for some of a movie ticket? <laughs> <laughs> yes. What's your favorite accent? Well, my favorite accent to do is Korean, obviously, but I won't do that here. So probably uh, like Spanish. Sure. Uh, something new that you learned within the last week? Uh, I've been reading a book called The Science of Interstellar. Interstellar is one of my favorite movies. Mm. It's by the... Matthew McConaughey. Yes, but the book is by the astrophysicist who came up with a lot of science there. So I learned that uh, it it explains the plot of this movie, spoiler alert, how I've learned how gravity and time are intrinsically 
connected and that, if I can say this right, the faster something is spinning, the faster time uh, passes, which is a key plot device in that movie. Yeah. So I've really learned that there's no such thing as time. Time is merely the momentum at which something spins. If if a scientist is listening, they'll probably say that's wrong. But you can comment that's what on I this think episode. I learned. <laughs> yes. All right. What is something you couldn't live without? Podcasts. What is something you could live without? <laughs> you could say podcast. <laughs> something I could live without? Oh, man. When you have kids, I'm going to say the flu or colds. Oh, yeah. Flu season. Oh, my gosh. Best advice you've ever been given? A minister mentor told me this. Mark, only spend your time on people who want to be helped. And the converse, don't don't spend time trying to help somebody who doesn't want your help. Mm. That's been huge for me. If your teenage self saw you today, what would he think? <laughs> I think that's that's the easiest one. Total heretic. Oh, <laughs> What would he be most impressed with? My teenage self? Yes. My exclusive, dogmatic, yes. closed-minded teenage self? Maybe my hair? <laughs> nice. All right. Thank you so much, Mark. To check out more about Mark, you can check out both Wikigod Podcast, which is still online, mm. even though you've stopped doing it. We, we hope you'll come back one of these days. Yeah. And also unboringwedding.com. That's right. Yeah. Thanks so much, guys, for listening. Please subscribe on iTunes and Podbean. And don't forget to rate and review our episodes. We'd love to hear back from you guys. So please hit us up on Facebook or Twitter or email. Leave us your comments and feedback. Let us know how you're engaging with today's episode and how you're striving to be missional in your lives. Also, let us know how our podcast can engage some of these issues in better ways. You've been listening to the Canadian Agent Missional Podcast, and we hope that you'll join us on this journey. See you next time.